Raise your hand if you like to read. Keep your hand up if you like to read novels. Most of you kept your hand up. Okay, you can put them back down. But, but I will ask this question related to that. If you read novels that uh, happen to be novels, maybe it's a suspense novel or a mystery novel, uh, and a novel that has the capacity where you're really getting attached to the main character, and then it happens. Tragedy strikes. Uh, something terrible happens in the life of the people you're getting to know in the book, and, and it, it just breaks down into a place where you're like reading it and you say, this is really depressing. Have you ever read a, a book like that? Okay. How many of you in that moment have been tempted to turn to the back of the book, the final chapters, to read ahead and just make sure everything turns out okay? Have any of you ever done that? Many of you have, as I suspected many of you had. And the reason is, why would we waste our time spending all the time reading a book that is only going to continue to cause depression and brokenness and sadness in our life? Why waste our time with something like that unless it ends well? And how awesome it is to be able to look ahead and find out, yes, indeed, it is in fact worth continuing to read this book because it ends well. You know where I'm going with this today? You have a story that's being lived out as we speak. And it's a story while filled at many times with great joys, great happiness, great moments of bliss. There are many moments in our story that's, that tragedy strikes. Filled with brokenness. Filled with messed up questions of why me? Why now? Now what? How can this possibly end well? Maybe it's by way of losing a loved one. Or, or maybe it is by way of watching somebody slowly deteriorate because of the, the ravages of cancer or some other disease. And you think to yourself, how can this possibly end well? Maybe it's just a slowly deteriorating marriage or relationship, maybe even with other family members like your kids or a brother or a sister or a parent. And you say to yourself, how can this possibly end well? Maybe it's a job that seems like a dead end, or, or the financial struggles that continue to happen no matter how much you plan, no matter how hard you try, you just seem to never be able to make ends meet. And it's frustrating. And you say to yourself, how can this ever possibly end well? Or maybe it's even on a deeper level because it's an attack and you continue to be attacked on the soul level, on your mind and your heart with temptations that lead you to guilt and shame because you can't resist anymore. You continue to act on those impulses. And it leads you to very, very dark places. In your heart of hearts, you say, this can't possibly end well. Maybe it's like we've been learning a lot through this series as it's happened throughout the Christian church history that persecution that ravages right seemingly at, at the core of the church and people even being beheaded for their faith as we speak here today. And, and I'm thinking like in a couple weeks we're going to have Confirmation Sunday and in the past a 
when a question is asked every confirmation of, of students, when we say, you know, how many of you are willing to face death rather than deny faith in your Savior? Are you willing to say yes to that? And, and that confirmation witness and pledge say, yes, I'm willing to face death rather than deny my Savior Jesus. And 18 years ago when I started ministry and asking that question to kids, in my mind I'm thinking, well, that's never going to happen. They're never going to have to face that. Well, that's not really the, ca the case anymore. It's very possible that many of our young people may possibly face that. Have to face death and not deny their Savior. How can this possibly end well? If only we could turn to the final chapters and be able to read and see how it ends up for the characters involved in the story. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, of course we can. In fact, we already did. That last book of the Bible, Revelation, and, and we read those incredible verses in chapter 21, but even before we go there, there are moments in the storyline of God's promise with his people when we look at where the story turns tragic, even early on, and God creates this perfect world. Everything is good, and he creates Adam and Eve, man and female, and, and it is awesomely good, exceedingly good. Everything seems like it's going well, and then enter into the picture sin, the fall, which ushers in death, suffering, and struggle, and pain, and rust, and turmoil. And God's people are saying, how can this possibly end well? And yet through it all, God continues to remind them that a day is coming. A day will come where the pain the suffering, the setbacks, the struggle, the constant questions of why will be answered. You know it's in your hard wiring, your, your DNA, don't you? I love that verse from Ecclesiastes where it says that God has put eternity into the hearts of his people. And what that means is, is when we face things that are less than eternal, things that fall short of being permanent, things that fall apart, mess up, fall into disarray, or, or things that are on the, the line of injustice or, or struggles. That we, we, we look at that and we say, that is not the way it's supposed to be. There's a part of us that just stirs and says, that's not right. Where's that come from? Well, the answer is it comes from God. There's a stirring in our soul for something more. And we're longing for it. We long for the story to end well. And our God keeps reminding us it is and it will. As a God who was and a God who is and a God who is to come. A God who's been present for eternity and a God who is present in eternity and who has a plan to set things right. A plan that ultimately already has been set right. By what our Savior Jesus was willing to do. Terrible twist in the plot, you might say. And how is this ever possibly going to end well when he goes the way of death and suffering in our place? And yet as people who are people of Easter, people who know when that question is laid out there or that statement is made, Christ is risen, 
wow. I know it's 8 o'clock and it's a dreary day, but you see what I'm saying is you do know the answer. The story that's being written in the lives of God's people includes resurrection, rebirth, renewal, and it ends incredibly well. Jesus says to his disciples in those words from the gospel, let not your hearts be troubled. Elsewhere he says, in this world you will face trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. In this world you will face trouble, but let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust in me, for in my Father's house are what? Many mansions or many rooms, depends on what translation you read. And it gets me thinking, he, he's going ahead to prepare this heavenly mansion filled with many rooms. I mean, what could that possibly look like? Well, let's take a picture of one possible scenario. Um, anybody know the world's largest house? And also happens to be the world's most extravagant house. I want to show a picture of it to you. Um, share the name of it. it. It actually has a name. Does your house have a name? It has an address. But um, this is called the, the, the Neural, or I'm sorry, Istana Neural uh, House. And uh, it happens to mean um, house of faith and light. I, I'm not quite entirely certain it is owned by a Lutheran. Um, just saying. Um, but just to give some statistics on this thing, there are 1,788 rooms. Uh, there are 257 bathrooms that need cleaning on an ongoing basis. Um, that's a lot of bathrooms. You know, you know what I'm getting at. Um, aside from the normal rooms that are found in almost every home, um, this house contains a mere five swimming pools, a 110-car garage, just in case, um, an air-conditioned stable for over 200 polo ponies, a banquet hall, and a gathering area that is equipped to have worship services in it that could accommodate 1,500 people, just in case. Um, this was designed in 1984 by a guy by the name of Leandro uh, Laxon, constructed by a Filipino firm, uh, Ayala International, in uh, the cost of a 2,152,782 square foot house is, what would you guess? Well, back then, $1.4 billion. Um, world's largest house right there. You might say, well, I don't prefer that architecture. Okay. But I'm just thinking, okay, if this place is incredibly extravagant, incredibly beautiful, incredibly just over the top, huge and, and amazing. And the question is, if a human being here on earth can design something that extravagant, that huge, that amazing, what do you think our God is capable of doing? A God who promises us in the midst of our story that he's going ahead to prepare a place for us. And in his father's house are many rooms in that mansion. How detailed, how beautiful how extravagant would a house look like or be designed by our God? It reminds us in the midst of our struggles today, in the midst of our doubts, in our fears, in our despair, how extravagant and amazing might that house be? But it's not just a house that will be waiting for us. We also find out it's actually a city. 
And we read about that in Revelation. We read those words of, about this, uh, this heavenly Jerusalem that John has a vision of. And, and he sees this incredible, extravagant place that's filled with these fine, precious jewels. And, and all these numbers and derivatives of the number 12 that continues to point out how important and, and biblical the number 12 is from the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and we in New Testament times as the spiritual descendants of Abraham and, and the 12 tribes of God's people um, that make up the entire world of, of nations gathering together in the presence of Almighty God. What does that city look like? I want to give you another comparison. Here's, here's a city on earth. Anybody know what city this is? That is Dubai. And, and just to give some statistics on Dubai, another earthly city, um, you go back 30, 40 years, this was just a desert. In fact, since 1995, the population of Dubai has more than doubled. It's at 1.4 or 1.5 million as of today. And if you've ever seen a documentary on this city and how it's being built and how every single detail is being cared for and thought through, that it is totally and completely designed to be a city where you would want to go and live. Uh, especially the, thinking about how, how beautiful the architecture is. It's got the world's largest, tallest building. Uh, it also happens to be uh, the home of the world's largest and, and tallest hotel. It also happens to be a, a place with the, the world's largest parking lot. The world's largest mall in the world is found in Dubai. Uh, has the world's second largest marina. And again, all this was just desert some years ago. And, and it is building at such a rate, and people are moving in. I think only 20% are locals. People are moving and flocking there. But I hear tell, don't believe everything you read about the brochures, that it's a wonderful place to spend time on the beach, because the word is, is that the 100% humidity and the temperatures make it only possible to enjoy the beachfront time for about five minutes at a time, because it's just too hot. But, but it's beautiful. And I'll tell you what. If human beings are able to design something like this and build it, how much more so an almighty, eternal God and creator who goes ahead to prepare a heavenly Jerusalem for us? As John records it in just its extravagance, one of the neat things that scholars point out is its dimensions of that heavenly Jerusalem is actually in the shape of a cube. Uh, it might surprise you, like, huh? What, how, what's that all about? It's shaped like a cube, but it draws our attention back to the biblical dimensions of a very important place in the lives of God's people, and that was the Holy of Holies that was a perfect cube as well in the tabernacle and in the temple. And, and the, the, the understanding is, is that the Lamb of God who's shed His blood for the people of God has opened up the Holy of Holies as a dwelling place for God's people of all nations. I mean, think about that today. A God who invites us into His presence. A place where there is no suffering. There is no pain. There is no struggle. There is no temptation. There is no death because death has been defeated. There is no questions of what's next. There is no wondering, how is the story going to end? Because our God, who is eternal, welcomes us home into his presence in eternity. I love how Revelation 21 has this to say. 
On no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be no night there. You know, gates, walls, they were established because of ongoing attacks. It was for safety reasons that cities would have walls. While this city is built with walls, the gates are never shut. Because it's safe. And there's a constant understanding we are in the presence of Almighty God. There's no night. And the reason is simple is because the light is a constant. Because Jesus is the light of the world. And the presence of Almighty God is the ongoing source of light. And daylight. And happiness. And joy. And peace. What we long for. Especially when we face the long dark nights of the soul. But God says the day is coming where this story ends well. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful or... Oh, wait a minute. What about us? Shameful, deceitful. And we say, well, does that exclude me? Well, then we read further, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life? Our names, the baptized children of God. Remember earlier on, some weeks ago, those who were wearing white garments, who were washed in the blood of the Lamb, the baptismal garments of grace, covering our sin, covering our brokenness, covering who we once were. We're no longer those people. We are new people. The people of God, the people gathered, the people whose names are written in the book. You see, this story, it ends well. And that is good news for us as God's people, for the joy that is ahead. Not so much just a mansion that we're looking for or a city we're looking for. Even more than that, we're looking for the presence of God in an unhindered, never-ending way. And what a day that will be. The God who was, a God who is, and the God who is to come with his people. We pray. Lord, we praise you for who you are. And we praise you for the gift of a story. While filled with many twists and turns and broken moments, God, you give us the promise that our story, each of our stories, by your grace and by your love, our story ends well. And it will never end because of what you have done. Thank you for calling us by name and entering our names into the book of life. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.